Today's episode is part of our Protective Intelligence Honors Program, a program we developed at the Center for Protective Intelligence to celebrate the top pioneers and thought leaders in physical security. Each month, we will be recognizing groundbreaking professionals who have driven new shifts and novel practices, development of innovative solutions, and are contributing to influencing and advancing the physical security and protection industry. Today, I am speaking with one of our honorees, Gabrielle Thompson, Vice President of Threat Assessment at Gavin D. Becker and Associates, to discuss her views on leadership, changes in the physical security space, and more. For her complete bio, please visit our website, protectiveintelligencehonors.com. Gabrielle, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. How did you get into the security industry? Well, I'm from Los Angeles originally, and I went to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And when I was in college, I was stalked. And uh, it was a situation where I had to go to campus police and the dean of students also became involved. But I really felt like I had to manage the situation on my own by honoring my intuition. And it guided me in terms of what to do and what not to do. And I graduated safely. And uh, the summer after my graduation, I saw Gavin DeBecker, who's the founder of my firm, on Larry King Live. And he was talking about his book, The Gift of Fear, and the value of honoring intuition in order to enhance safety. And I thought, wow, that's what I had done in my situation. I need to go get that book. So the following day, I went to a bookstore and I bought the book. And I found it really fascinating because of being a psychology major. But it really resonated with me because of what he was talking about with intuition, because that's what I had done in my situation. So I saw the firm was in Los Angeles and I applied for a job and I got a job in the threat assessment and management division at the very bottom. I was threat assessment and management staff. So you can't get any lower than that. <laughs> um, I didn't know anything about the threat assessment field. And I, I started out by reviewing communications that were going to public figures. So maybe an actor or an actress or an executive. And uh, my original plan was not to stay in this field. I was going to do it for a couple of years. And then my plan was to go to law school or maybe to get a PhD in forensic psychology. Um, but this was just something I was going to do for a couple of years. But what ended up happening is I really enjoyed the work and I enjoyed the people I was working with. Um, and ultimately, I had to make a decision on whether to stay or to leave. And uh, I decided to stay. And, you know, over the past 20 years, I've assessed and managed thousands of communications and have become a practitioner in threat assessment just by working those cases. Gabrielle, what's the biggest change you've seen in the security space during your career? Well, it would certainly be the availability of information on the internet and specifically social media. And I see that as um, two-pronged. You know, one of the areas is in terms of the work we do as threat assessors or investigators or in protective intelligence of uh, investigating an individual, right? We might be looking at their social media profiles or searching the internet. And when I first started out in threat assessment, it was very passive. You would wait for a letter or a package to arrive, or you would wait for a phone call to be received or for a visit to occur. 
and then you would assess and investigate the information. And of course, all of those things are still happening, but now you have to be actively out there looking for information on the internet, particularly social media in terms of your assessment. When I first started out too, you know, it would be challenging, for instance, to obtain a photograph of a person of interest or a pursuer. Uh, and nowadays with the internet, it's much different in that regard. Uh, but the second prong to this is really looking at it in terms of protecting at-risk individuals or public figures. You know, what, for example, a public figure is posting um, on the internet, on social media, could impact their safety. So we do a lot of coaching with public figures on what to post and what not to post. But even if they're posting, you know, things that they should be talking about, um, and not talking about, say, things that could impact their safety, you could still have a mentally ill pursuer that believes that the public figure is communicating with them, for example, over Twitter, and that could worsen a situation. Uh, and lastly, with uh, people that are at risk in this day and age, unfortunately, it's much more difficult to keep information private, for example, residential information. So when we are looking at an overall security program for someone at risk, that's a key area that we address. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Meaning, do you have a favorite failure of yours? That is an interesting question. Um, there's two main areas of work that I do. One is working cases. Um, so assessing communication, say, to public figures or workplace violence or domestic violence. But I, I think for this question, I would go to the training piece. I do a lot of advanced threat assessment trainings. And many years ago, I was leading an advanced threat assessment training over several days. And at the end, I had an attendee that came up to speak with me. And she said, Gabby, the training was fabulous, but... And I thought, uh-oh, you know, what's the but? And she said, but what I would really love to know is, how do you do what you do? And my initial reaction was, well, I've been training on that for the last couple of days about case management strategies and more intrusive strategies and least intrusive strategies. But as we dug into it and I asked her more questions, what I realized she was asking me was, how do you manage the victim? How do you manage victim fear during the evolution of a case? And she was looking for very practical advice, like techniques that she could take back with her and apply when she went back to the office. And I gave this some thought, and uh, my mentor, Gavin DeBecker, has trained on managing victim fear, but I wasn't training on it at the time. And I thought, how can I take managing victim fear and make it really practical um, and put in techniques I've learned from colleagues and coworkers and that I've developed on my own and create a presentation that's really practical for attendees. So because of her feedback, I created a, a presentation on managing victim fear. Uh, and it's interesting to me because I train a lot on case management and it's usually the managing victim fear piece that um, I hear from attendees about that, you know, I've never heard this anywhere else. This is so helpful for me. I can apply this right away. Um, and I never would have created that presentation had I not had an attendee come up to me and basically say to me, there's something missing in your trainings. Um, so I'm really grateful she did that. Yeah, that's a great, great story. Uh, Gabby, what is your everyday carry? 
Well, when I first started, it, it was a pager back in the day, <laughs> a long time ago. But uh, I remember those. You remember those days and getting 911 at the end of a phone number <laughs> when it was an emergency. Nowadays, it's my laptop and it's my phone. You know, a lot of the work I do in, in terms of case management, I can do over email, I can do over the phone. Of course, video conferencing is available now. Um, there are certain things I would need to be in person for, for example, advanced threat assessment trainings. But there's a lot I can accomplish with my, with my phone and my laptop. What motto do you live by? I think my motto is really my purpose, which is to help other people. You know, when, when clients come to me, a lot of times, if I'm talking about a, a high-risk case, they might be anxious or feel fearful or even angry, or they might be crying. And it, it sometimes is the most challenging situation they've ever gone through in their lives. Um, and they're looking to me to help them get through that situation. Um, and Fred, you know that the security world in general can be very challenging. The work that we do, um, the 24-7 nature of it, um, a lot of the work that we do, if we're doing a good job, we may never know what we have averted in terms of being in the security field. Um, but for me, what is really gratifying is if I have a client say to me, Gabby, you really helped me with this case and helped me with this situation. Or if I have an attendee at one of my trainings that says, you know, this is great information and I'm going to go back to the corporation that I work for, or the university, and we're going to set up a threat assessment team. And we're going to apply all of this learning. Um, that alone is really gratifying to me uh, that I'm able to help people through my work. Very well said. What are the biggest changes you expect to see in the physical security space in the next one to three years? Well, I think what we're we're going to see, we're already seeing happen in the Los Angeles area and some other jurisdictions as well. Uh, and it's related to criminal justice reform. So in Los Angeles, we have a new district attorney. And he has new policy directives specifically related to misdemeanor crimes. Um, and there's exceptions to it, but in certain misdemeanors, they will not be prosecuting those cases, particularly if it's somebody that is, say, mentally ill. And two of the misdemeanor crimes are trespassing and threats, which are two crimes that I typically pursue in the cases that I'm working uh, And at our firm, we have uh, protectors or bodyguards that are with our clients. 24-7 at their homes, at their offices, when they're traveling. So from an executive protective standpoint, if we are protecting someone at a fixed location, let's say it's a residence, and we have a mentally ill pursuer show up and they're warned to leave that location and they refuse to do so, in the past, one of the main criminal charges we would pursue is trespassing. So the question becomes, what do you do when one of the main tools in your tool belt you can no longer use? And I think the answer to that is that it's going to be case specific, right? In certain cases, you might be able to still pursue it if one of the exceptions exist, or maybe you can pursue another criminal charge, or you're looking at other strategies in the case to apply. But I think that's something from a case management perspective we're looking at closely. And I think it could, you know, it could switch back in Los Angeles to the other way, um, but we could also see laws being changed in the future. So I think uh, LA is an example of what could happen in other jurisdictions 
And that can affect things on the case management side and the EP side as well. Gabby, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? You know, when I got into threat assessment, um, it had already been going for a few decades. There's a lot of pillars in the threat assessment industry. Um, And uh, when I was joining, it was just about the time when threat assessment teams were starting at organizations and then later at universities and schools. And I've really seen during the 20 years I've been in the field, I've seen how it's expanded. And uh, now for people that are looking at getting into the field of threat assessment or protective intelligence, there's so many jobs available and a lot of avenues for growth. So I think for those individuals, I would be very encouraging to them and to let them know there's a lot of opportunities here. And uh, I'm excited to see what's next. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.ai/center. Again, that's ontic.ai/center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.